Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with our host, Steve Krupa of the Silos Group. Hello, Steve. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing great. Doing great. And we have today, we're going to, a guest from the uh, exciting world of precision medicine. You've talked yeah. to Mark Kaganovich. He's the CEO and co-founder of Solve Bio. Tell us a bit about Solve Bio. Well, listen, I, I think this is a cool interview for the sort of biology geeks in the audience, and, and I enjoyed it. Uh, because you know, if you're into computing and you're into big data and, and you're into analysis and you sort of understand that we're about to enter into um, an era of really customized biological treatments for humans, um, uh, this is a very interesting uh, discussion because uh, what Mark's, Mark's company is doing is it's becoming part of uh, the data and analytics infrastructure that allows all of the research and analysis to get done uh, to identify drug tar- targets and develop precision medicine therapies. And uh, he talks about this from the context of genomic intelligence. And uh, his objective is to, is to build uh, a, a wide network of data access products uh, that will help researchers and uh, ultimately physicians, I think, um, in in their in their ability to you know produce precision uh, therapies for for very specific individuals and very specific uh, groups of medical conditions, so it's very cool, very cool interview. It's going to be a little more scientific than some of the other stuff we've done uh, in the past, but I think that it's it's a worthwhile subject matter and something we should all be familiar with. Yeah, for sure. I mean, do you have a sense as to where, how far this convergence will go uh, with, with genomics and with, with digital health and even med tech? I mean, we're kind of seeing them all all uh, mesh together. Uh, is this just going to continue to happen and happen until we just have a healthcare company <laughs> that has every one of these components uh, as part of it? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I, I think that, uh, that, that we are a little bit specialized in digital health, we don't see sort of these these end to end solutions yet, um, and it's very hard to know if anybody will build one of those or whether that, that we'll see people partner and build end to end network networks and solutions. But I hear where I hear what you're saying. Sort of the medical device, the the biologic therapy, the the um, sort of behavioral change modification, digital health, uh, the the, the uh, home patient monitoring. Uh, the access to you know real time study data and feedback and improvement loops and all of the things that we can imagine that can happen in a truly connected digital world will eventually all come together. Um, I feel that there are pockets of expertise though that in the in the in the near term and probably for the next five to ten years need to be built up and and then we'll use uh, you know event driven APIs and other te- types of technologies. Mm-hmm. To link those into networks that solve very specific um, problems. Exciting times, and I'm looking at yeah. the at Solve Bio's website, SolveBio.com. Got a great shot of the New York City skyline uh, oh, from uh, one end of Central Park. I'm guessing they took this uh, from your apartment. Your- yes, they they took. It looks like they. Did. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe they took it from their offices. Uh, <laughs> my apartment's further downtown, but I will I will say, you know, there's not a whole lot of uh, you know biotech in, in New York City, so it's kind of cool to see it happening. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Let's get into this interview with Mark Kaganovich, CEO and co-founder of Solbio. Breaking Health Podcast. I am here with Mark Kaganovich, co-founder and fellow New Yorker, by the way, of uh, Solve Bio. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Glad to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, I get, we're going to talk about precision medicine, which is a subject that we've touched upon a couple of times in the in the past. Uh, but it's been a while, so the good news is the listeners have some sense of, of what it is and, and what the issues are. Uh, but before we dig into that, give me a sense for how you ended up in New York and how you ended up co-founding this company. What was, what was the, uh, the, the moment of inspiration that, that got you here? Yeah, well, the New York is uh, it's a question I get asked a lot, why New York? I, I think uh, I'm maybe one of uh, a few founders that ended up moving away from Palo Alto to start a tech company. Right. It's not the usual route. It's, it's probably the other way around. Um, so I was in grad school at Stanford, and that is where, uh, along with some friends, the, the idea for Solve Bio germinated. But uh, all of us, to be honest, wanted to live in New York for a number of reasons. One is the the tech scene is up and coming here and there are a lot of interesting uh health related startups here and technologies as you, as you know being involved in that scene here and in Boston and uh it's it's an interesting location it's close to the the Boston Life Sciences Hub there's uh the sort of computer science programs in the area and in Boston that draw people here and it's also just a Kind of a way of being different. Uh-huh. So we uh, coalesced around New York, and I'm really, really happy we made that decision. Uh, we we have a lot of East Coast customers, and uh, I'm able to get back to Palo Alto quite frequently. So I think I benefited from kind of the best of both worlds. And anyone in the health-related space, I highly recommend thinking about New York. Yeah, well, it's a cool place to live when you're young, that's for sure, right? I mean, you're right in Manhattan with your offices, yeah? Yeah, so our office is in Tribeca. It's a great area, and yeah, it's a good place to live when you're relatively young, <laughs> like us. And and tech tech is kind of portable these days, right? I mean, you know, you're uh, it's not a hardware business; it's a it's a software business. You're not even anywhere near, uh, oftentimes, uh, the computing systems that you're working with, right? They're housed someplace further away, in some safe location, uh, so you get to go someplace. And I and I will say, you know, uh, I would agree with you. Uh, a we're seeing a lot of people that, that want to be involved in the creation of technologies, uh, wanting to live in New York and the surrounding boroughs, if you will, Brooklyn and so forth. And as a result of that, you'll, you'll be able to recruit some different people uh, than you might otherwise recruit if you were out, uh, out west. So let's talk about your company. What, what was the idea? What was the inspiration to start the company? Um, you know, why did you decide to do this as opposed to you know, getting a job when you, after you got out of grad school? Yeah, so as part of grad school, I did quite a bit of bioinformatics. My focus was in genomics, especially cancer genomics. And 
Well, I got to see how this new field was getting going and the huge potential of it and also some of the potential pitfalls, the unknowns and the technology challenges, uh, especially in parallel to the computing that was uh, happening, the computing advances that you know, my peers that were not in grad school as startups were working on is kind of amazing. And I'm talking about three years ago, three, four years ago. It was already, um, you know, various developer platforms had become really popular. So it was uh, already uh, very obvious that web development had kind of reached several uh, stages above where it was even in 2006, 10 years ago, when AWS first launched, kind of, you know, the, the first really kind of amazing service for developers where they could develop on top of a platform and not have to worry about the back end. They could basically rent it. And then after that, you have things like GitHub and Heroku and basically other tools and, and Stripe, I mean, really revolutionized how developers can develop a, an e-commerce application. And seeing that and seeing some of the challenges that bioinformaticians have to go through, uh, we noticed that, you know, we thought that, well, okay, if this field becomes as big as uh, e-commerce, for example, or other uh, fields that have been revolutionized by technology, then some of those same developer tools will be necessary. And that morphed into the idea for Solve Bio, which ended up being bigger than that. Uh, so we we thought about the initial technology, and that's what we built. And then it, it turned out that this problem of the data pipelines, um, where does the data actually come from, how is the data used, was super relevant, not just to my immediate problems that I faced as an academic researcher, but somewhat more commercially significant problems like translational medicine in pharma. So they're drawing on lots and lots of different information to develop drugs. Well, how does that information get into the hands of the right people? How are the technologies that uh, are built on top of this information, how are they drawing on that data? And same thing with diagnostic companies. They're, they're all using similar data sets and data sources. So the initial technology that we, that we built kind of started with some of the, the things I saw in grad school ended up being pretty critical for pharma and diagnostic and biotech processes. And it was... As a grad student, I didn't necessarily know about some of the commercial applications of this, but there was a sense that this technology, genomics, and uh, I guess what people more broadly call precision medicine, would start being used in the in industry, and that's been the case. Mm-hmm. So I, as a grad student, kind of started playing around with this, got together with uh, two of my very good friends, David Kaplan and David Gross, who have exactly complementary uh, skill sets. David Kaplan's a full-stack web developer with a bioinformatics and biochemistry uh, background. He has a master's in biochemistry. And David Gross is a product designer and uh, also a life sciences passion. And this morphed 
from kind of an, uh, first an idea, then a technology, and then a product. Yeah. And then we got customers. Yeah, I think one of the realities of uh, sort of the open source web scale technologies is, is that if you know how to architect them and deploy them correctly, uh, you get a lot of bang for your buck there in terms of the back end sort of taken care of for you. you know, you've got to watch it. You've got to make sure you deploy it correctly so that your your developers can focus on product management management and building features you know, into your software, which enables companies like yours to sort of get a product out in a pretty short time frame. So when was the company founded? And, and uh, I know you've got some seed capital from, from, from some pretty cool VCs, but tell me when you founded the company and tell me the story that uh, you told your, uh, your seed investors uh, that led them to want to fund you. Yeah, so we started the company in 2013, three years ago, and we started commercializing about a year ago. So we went through, uh, a lot of startups probably have a, a similar ramp up where it was idea phase, then you get together with some people, you uh, hack things together, you start, you go for, uh, at least we went for a small amount of angel money and then that coalesced into a, a seed round around um, uh, 2014 and then we expanded that in 2015. So, our, and so that, that was kind of our trajectory. And then, uh, as we started commercializing, we got some pretty big customers. And so we're now very much, uh, in the growth phase and are hiring more, uh, looking to scale. So that, that first, that first kind of year or two, it's, it's in this sort of stage where ideas change a lot. Uh, so you're kind of, have some kernel of a truth that mm-hmm. you know based on uh, interacting with customers or potential customers, and you know it's true, but you might not know how to make it a product or what that product is. And that's often why you need seed capital and why you need time uh, and you need to experiment. And so for us, what we knew was true was that there's an increasing amount of complicated information out there that is related to genomics. Uh, people kind of call it multiomics. You know, it, it's hard to, it's kind of, you know, when you see it, but basically it's, it's a way to describe human biology. People sometimes say in a, in kind of a systems wide approach. In other words, if it's, if you're talking about genetics, you're not talking about one gene at a time as the um, data source, but rather what are all the gene, what all the genes look like together, or um, the whole genome. So that's genomics, and applying that to every other way to probe molecular biology, and, and all of a sudden it becomes multiomic. Um, mm-hmm. In some sense, these are just words, but and the reality is that from the human perspective, it makes a very big difference when you're talking about um, much, much more information. It, just the way you relate to it, the way you interact with it changes. And so that one truth that we knew was that there were all these companies, big and small, that were being built around uh, this new kind of information. And very, very big decisions were about to be made using this kind of information. On the diagnostic side, there are decisions uh, 
that affect human health. I mean, and sometimes it's actually mind-boggling, and I'm still kind of amazed. I think this hasn't really fully played out yet, but you'll have people that make life-altering decisions based on a diagnostic report, and that report, where is the reference data for that? How do you know if if uh, you have a pathogenic variant or a benign variant? It's It comes from some reference data set somewhere that probably some grad student contributed to some FTP site, and it kind of sat there. And then it was parsed out by a bioinformatician, and it was... Um, you know, normalized and some kind of quality control was done. But in the end, it comes from research often or people don't even know where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of scary in some sense. Sure. Uh, and I think, I think there's the, the lot will, will still be played out. A lot of that, that whole system, there's still some kind of uh, hack together solutions uh, pharma, it's, it's a little different, but, but similar, but in some ways uh, more sophisticated and in other ways much more complicated. You will have billion dollar decisions being made on which targets to pursue, which markets to pursue. I mean, that's, that's a extremely exciting and significant change in an industry that's a decent portion of our GDP. Uh, the industry now is not about blockbuster drugs, but about identifying markets correctly and having effective products for those markets because the markets are based on biomarkers. That's very significant. Very important decisions are being made with this information. So our truth, the kernel uh, of truth that, that we knew was that new kind of information is out there now at a new kind of volume and dimensionality and complexity. And this Information was about to be used, was being used to some extent, but about to be used even more so for very significant decisions that had both monetary and uh, social consequences. And uh, and the social consequences have high commercial value, obviously, as well. So that's what we knew. And so we, that was the pitch. The pitch Mm -hmm. was that there's this new information no one has really built technology to index that information properly and make it usable in a scalable way for an entire new industry that's going to be built with it. And, and so that's what we pitched, and it's, it's turned out to be in many ways true. The, we actually started out making an API, so uh, an interface, a programmatic interface, that developers would plug into, and we've really evolved quite a lot since then. We've built a whole product and a UI, a user interface on top of that. So from that initial pitch, the initial kernel of truth, that has remained constant, but the product has really grown, and the customers aren't just developers. They're also scientists and business people in a variety of different industries. But that truth, that complicated information is being used to make big decisions, I think that's going to uh, be at the core of our company for as long as we're around. Excuse me, everyone. Tom here. I just want to take a quick break from this conversation to remind you to uh, send me your email if you'd like to get the uh, panel discussions and other content from our Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. It happened on November 2nd in Boston. Uh, We're putting out the uh, video content 
as I speak and uh, would love to send it directly to you. So just uh, shoot me an email, tom at healthogy.com. That's the word health, followed by the letters egy.com, and I'll make sure you're on our lists. Now back to this conversation. Sure, sure. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It was like in the old days, and when I say the old days, not that long ago, right? But but maybe the old days defined as uh, pre-web uh, scale IT, let's say. And, you, you know, you would say, uh, wow, it takes, you know, seven to ten years for clinical standards to sort of work its way through the majority of the medical community to where they become standard operating procedure. And it seems to me that when you start to think about um, precision medicine and the omics, you know, the many omics, but it certainly starts with gene omics um, and the capabilities in terms of diagnosing disease, um, specifying precision treatment for disease and developing drugs for the new markets that that you've described. We've got so much data coming in, and now we've got sort of a computing infrastructure to handle that data, that the real issue in front of us is, you know, how quickly can we assemble it into usable information that affects outcomes in drug development? And if, if I'm getting this right, it seems like that was the mission of your company, and what ended up happening is you ended up realizing we've got to go in a, in a couple of different directions to make this all happen. Am, am I getting that, am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. I mean, you know, I would I would uh, add to that that it's not so much uh, that there's a lot of information now we have to do something to it. It's I mean that's kind of the consequence. It's more that we need to collect a lot of information in order to categorize disease in a better way so that disease and populations in a better way so that we can stratify trials, develop new compounds, see if they're working and diagnose people. So I think a lot of, a lot of companies were kind of approaching this from, okay, there's a lot of information. Now we need to process it in some way or do something with it. But it's more that there are a lot of questions that people need answering. Collecting the right kind of information is what's important, and knowing where the right kind of information is is what's important. Uh, and I think the first phase of genomics was just we assume that doing a lot of sequencing or something like that will be very useful, and then we just have to kind of add it all together, and we're done. But it's not exactly that. It turns out it's a bit more complicated there's a lot of different kind of information that needs to be collected. Um, and, yeah, if you can collect as little information as possible, that would be ideal. So it's not so much... We have the computing infrastructure to handle much more than what's being generated um, by genomics and related fields in medicine. I mean, look at how much video there is on the web. It's more that we still need to understand the science and relate the science to the commercial aspect. And that's often a usability problem. We need to be able to find a needle in a haystack quickly. We need to know the different uh, different ways to call things, different ways to name things, and collaborate around those things. Uh, collaborate around, for example, 
genetic variants and all the metadata that we know, all the different opinions and conflicting opinions that we know about variants based on lots of different evidence that's being constantly collected. So that's kind of the way I like to think about it. It's this sort of constant accumulation of knowledge. And if we could help organize that knowledge in a way that makes it easy to retrieve, then we can speed up this whole process and get a drug developed faster and the pharma companies make more money and patients are, are better for it. So, um, by the way, your, your website's got a lot of great information on you know where your product's headed and the, and, and the different components of it. But I'm wondering if we could grab hold of uh, you know at least you know a customer use case. You don't have to identify the customer unless it's public. But give me an example of how one of your customers is using your technology for their business today. Yeah, sure. So you know, uh, so one important use case is a top pharma company. Um, what they do is they actually have um, several drugs out in the market, and they're collecting uh, genetic information. So it's on uh, on tumor cells, so uh, li- liquid biopsy, and they're basically sequencing uh, the tumor, and with a collaborator, and they're getting that information. And what they want to know is. Are these? Uh, is there a correlation between resistance to this drug and the tumor variants that are present in the tumor cells, the somatic variants? And to do that, they have to a collect the sequence and uh, call the variants, and they have uh, partners and and software that does that. But then they need to classify those variants, and they need to contextualize them. They need to put them in the context of what everything else, everyone else in the world has already seen and observed. So if they find a new variant, they want to know, have other studies suggested that this variant causes some of the phenotypes that we see? Has, is this variant associated with other cancers or other molecular functions? And so that's what SolVio allows them to do, is it allows them to, the scientists to classify and categorize these variants and compare them to the hundreds of other studies out there in the world that they follow through SolVio. So SolVio indexes external clinical genomic information and links it all together. And we make the analogy to Bloomberg a lot. So it, it provides this up-to-date, real-time view of a genetic variant and everything that all these different studies have to say about it. And we link all that information to internal proprietary customer data. So in this case, they're taking this data from the uh, from patients that are on this drug, and they're classifying all the variants that these patients have. They're linking all of that data to everything that's out there related to those variants from academic studies, uh, third-party data producers, collaborators, et cetera. And so then their scientists have this view, this up-to-date view on this variant, and then they correlate it to clinical outcomes. And they're uh, basically able to categorize which variants explain resistance and which ones don't and use that to uh, improve their um, their compound uh, and their trials and uh, their processes. Um, and eventually it will go, hopefully, to 
treating patients better because it becomes part of a of a way to uh, assign treatments, right? Mm-hmm. So if, yeah. you, if you have these variants, then use this compound. If you if you don't have these variants, don't use it. That's cool. So if I if I think about your business, I mean, there's a lot that goes on in the process that you just described, right? There's a lot of medical procedure work that gets done, and there's a lot of data that gets generated as part of that medical procedure. And it sounds like you jump in at the point in time uh, that the data is generated, either for a specific case for one of your customers or through you know other leads for data of uh, from from other parties that have done similar similar work to collect that information. Um, you sort of become the the uh, uh, a warehouse, for lack of a better word, of of that information, um, and then the next piece of it would be to do some form of analytics and and try to discover relationships amongst that information. It sounds like in your case that allows you to segment patients' uh, tumors and the and the and the and the, and the, and the variations in those tumors uh, to an expected response to a particular drug. Do you are you also doing the analytics piece, or are you just provide are you providing a platform for the analytics to take place, or are you providing the data and is the customer doing the analytics? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the way we think about it is there's a data layer, and it's exactly like you said, a warehouse. Uh, uh, the one difference between We don't call that them warehouses kind of, anymore, right? We call them lakes or pools yeah. and, shit and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we, we call it a kind of a, a data layer or yeah. a, a molecular data warehouse. Uh, but it's there's a kind of a reason why, why it's, I mean, warehouse maybe sounds a little bit outdated because when you, when you think about a warehouse, you think of shelves and uh, objects on those shelves and then uh, some way to store the objects and some way to retrieve them. One difference here is that all the data is linked, right? So if you have 100 different data sources about a variant, what this warehouse allows you to do is query one variant but and query 100 data sources in parallel. So you don't go to each one, you query all of them at once because they're linked and normalized based on, uh, in this case, a genetic position, or it could be a, a phenotype or a drug. So it's a, a linked data layer. And, and, and that's really the core of our technology, the ability to do that. And then on top of that, we build applications. So, and it's all available through an API. So mostly the analytics are done by the customer or by partners. But we also have certain applications, like we have a, a classifier that is uh, is kind of like TurboTax. It helps the scientists run through different rule sets based on external information to help classify a variant in this case. So we do some of the analytics, but we also open up the system to allow customers to develop their own and plug in partners. Gotcha. So you're you're not so so you're you're collecting the data. You're you're linking the data in a way that it sounds like allows for much more combinations of analysis than you might have gotten in a data warehouse uh, three four years ago. And you're providing tools to your customers. Uh, to optimize their analytics of the data. That, that's the way I sort of get it. That's the, yeah, the exactly. That's okay. right. That's right. And, and linking the data is 
is really the the first step, and that's the kind of meat of, of the technology, because it, it's not just linking all the elements. We also version all the data, mm-hmm. right? Because sure. there are always new versions of everything coming out, and so you have to think about that. How can you switch between this month's version of TCGA or last month's version of TCGA um, or last quarter's version, et cetera? So if you think about how you know Bloomberg does this with financial data, parsing all all this kind of information from different sources and linking it by I don't know um, stock symbol, like a stock ticker symbol, and then feeding the stream to the customer. This is somewhat similar, except uh, the streams are kind of different. You need to know exactly what version you're referencing, uh, and so that that's really the meat of the technology. Cool, and and. Just to sort of take a step back, are you are you you know everything everything's cloud cloud cloud, but it sounds like this is a combination of some sort of a I don't know if I call it de-identified, but maybe it is de-identified set of data where you couldn't really correlate it to specific patients, but you can correlate it to a patient, right? That you've been able to assemble sort of gets combined with a real time situation. Um, are you deploying in the cloud? Are you deploying in some sort of combination of the cloud and and uh, on customers' um, databases? How are you handling all that? Right now, we're in the cloud, and customers can have a, a dedicated or private hosting or shared instances on Amazon. But right now, we're in the cloud, and in those situations where customers need to combine the data to join the data some way with something that could only host internally. Uh, you know, we have an API for them to pull the necessary information out and run analytics uh, with their own clinical data, for example. Um, but as things more move more and more to the cloud, we can host more and more different kinds of data types and uh, and. Uh, you know the, the regulatory environment is obviously shifting. is very much dependent on the company, but we found that most companies that we talk to are pretty comfortable with with the, with the cloud, especially in private instances, um, with uh, quite a, a big range, quite a lot of different data types. Cool. So I'm I'm looking at your website now only for the for sort of the purpose of being a little pithy. Uh, because it looks like you've got a, you've got quite a, a a number of different applications. We talked about variant assessment, but it looks like you're doing things in on on curation of literature and bioinformatics, engineering, panel development for diagnostics, target drug development, and then the last thing that really caught my eye was precision wellness. Now I'm happy to talk about all those those categories of your product, uh, but the precision wellness for some reason. Uh, is an immediate curiosity. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, so I mean, we have a number of customers, mostly in the pharma, biotech, campaign, and diagnostic spaces, but also it ranges. I mean, we're also working with uh, academic medical centers, but also we, we have some uh, kind of more consumer-facing customers. And... It's not exactly clinical. It's maybe more in what you might call wellness. And precision medicine, I, I believe we, we made that up, but that term at least. But the uh, the connection of some of these phenotypes that you 
might categorize under wellness. They're not exactly clinical disease phenotypes. And the connection of that to uh, genotypes, genetic variation. So our involvement in that is we offer the service of curating scientific literature or clinical trials under specific SOP standard operating procedures uh, to extract information from these relatively unstructured sources and extract them and shape them into usable databases of genotypes related to whatever phenotypes uh, company is looking for, including wellness. Uh, and so we've done that for companies that focus on that. So the way it fits into our business model is we're all about organizing information and making it easy to use for these companies so that they can develop their products faster. And sometimes a lot of information might be out there, but it's just not structured in a way that we can easily pull into SolBio as a data feed. Uh, it's, it's not out there in a, on an FTP site somewhere with a you know, CSV file or a database somewhere. It's maybe in scientific papers or clinical trials or conference proceedings. And so we offer a service to curate that information on demand. And uh, basically scientists read those papers and extract information and import that into SolBio. And so that's, and so we've done that for the kind of quote unquote wellness space for uh, di clinical diagnostic uh, and uh, for pharma. And so it, it ends up being the way we see it as a way to fill the gaps for what data sources are out there now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it could be something as if you have a propensity for obesity or you have, you know, nutritional elements that may have an impact on a particular disease state or things of that nature or, 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 or more, less along the line of pure omics on omics type of analysis and more thinking about personal attributes and associating them with genetics and what might be able to be accomplished if people changed their lifestyle or were potentially put on some medications to improve that. Is that, is that the way to think about it? Yeah. So the whole promise of quote-unquote precision medicine is that people have more precise readouts of phenotypes and be able to relate that to something that they can measure about themselves for example, their genotype uh, or something else that's inherited, something that will inform uh, their propensity for disease or inform which disease group they fall into uh, or inform which drug they should be treated with. So that is becoming fairly well-defined for certain areas. Mm -hmm. So companion diagnostics. So diagnostics are approved by the FDA to go along with certain treatments like you know, the famous example of being HER2 uh, in, uh, developed by Genentech as a target for breast cancer. So those are quite well-known readouts. But on the other end of the spectrum, you might have things that, I mean, right now we don't necessarily even have a name for or a good um, categorization for, but kind of like you said, these sort of nutritional or other kinds of uh, phenotypes that we really have a hard time measuring perhaps. So people have asked us to try to scour the available 
world's knowledge for any kind of molecular relationship between those observations and uh, genotypes, for example, or other biomarkers. And we have done that. It's obviously right now a much more nebulous kind of task and perhaps much more of a nebulous product offering. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly uh, unregulated and yeah. uh, others probably have a whole lot to say about that. But it's uh, it's definitely uh, a bit kind of in flux right now because there isn't uh, enough science to explain all of that. So it's it's been a, a smaller offering for us in terms of what we've seen, but there are companies popping up that are looking to make products like that, and we've helped some of them. Um, obviously, most of the commercial potential right now is in the things that we already know, and that's what... Sure. Uh, even with those things, we have uh, there's so much work to be done. I mean, pharma is working in in uh, in that space in oncology. There, we know so much more about that than about um, the the genetic relationship uh, between uh, sorry the relationship between genetics and uh, nutrition. But I think in ten years, that's that will be it'll be ready. <laughs> no, no. Listen, I think that that in ten years. You know, that's going to be one of the things people are searching for, right? We're kind of searching for uh, a way to heal ourselves before we get too sick or before we have to be on a medication for the rest of our lives. And some people would argue this is, uh, this is what we should be searching for, a correlation between, you know, what our genes say about us and where we might be headed and what sort of nutritional or other, you know, uh, alterations to our lifestyle we can make. Uh, in order to sort of uh, curb that tendency. You know, we're, we're kind of coming down to the end of our time. This is fun. I could talk about this. This, this stuff interests me a lot. Um, I want to ask you one more quick question uh, before I let you go. So tell me what it's like doing this. Um, tell me the kind of culture you've built at your company and, uh, and, and what you've learned um, getting this thing off the ground. Yeah, honestly, it's really been an amazing experience that I'm incredibly grateful for. It's really exactly what I've always wanted to do since I started college, uh, combining my two main interests, computation and biology, and also uh, business. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and building a team is it's a real privilege to be able to have a say in the people that you work with. And I think that we've been really, really lucky. Uh, the team that we have is very passionate about uh, what we do. And most importantly, each member of the team is passionate about his or her domain. And that makes for a very dynamic and interesting work environment and an extremely productive one. And that's, that's what I, that's what I value the most. Uh, when you work with a group of people that are proud of their work and they care about its quality and they consider themselves to be experts at what they're doing and they have ownership over it. That's, that's so different than working somewhere where, you know, people kind of clock out and no one will notice for six months whether their work is good or bad. It's it's huge, 
it's I think the the most important cultural element for for a startup. You have to have that ownership and pride in your work, and you have to assemble a, a team that is able to do that while at the same time working together. and And you could only do that if you respect each other. And I mean, I make the analogy internally a lot to uh, this movie Three Hundred. Um, where they, they have this whole thing about how they're like one guy is guarding the next one with his shield or something like that and how as a result they can have this unit that fits together perfectly because they have their own area of responsibility but they also respect that someone else is just as good at their area of responsibility so they fit together really well. It's not the perfect analogy because they all died at the end but uh, it's uh, as a sort of as a process. They went down fighting though, right? <laughs> yeah, and they did a lot of damage. Uh, so, so that's that's really the the biggest cultural element, and it, it makes it exciting to come into work. We make a lot of progress on some really difficult problems. We've been commercializing for less than a year, and we have several top ten pharma companies as customers. And I can say with complete confidence, everyone on the team is is really really smart. And I've been fortunate enough to to be in environments where where there tend to be smart people so Harvard um, for college, uh, Stanford grad school. But this team has really been the best team that I've ever had a chance to uh, be a part of. Cool. Well, listen, congratulations on a couple of things. First, getting your company going. Second, the wisdom of coming to New York City. Very good idea. And uh, we'll be... uh, We'll be keeping an eye on you as you build, as you build up your business. It, it, last thing is uh, let the audience know how they can get a hold of you or find out about you. You know, website, Twitter handle, Facebook, all that good stuff. Yeah, so uh, follow the company on Twitter at SolveBio. Uh, my email is mark, M-A-R-K, at SolveBio.com. Shoot me an email. I'd love to hear people's thoughts. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mark Kaganovich. And uh, that's it. And just email me. I'll probably reply. (laughs) Well, listen, uh, Mark, it was great having you. Thanks for joining. Thanks so much. All right, everyone, that's a wrap. Steve Krupa, nice job. Thank you for uh, delving so deeply into the uh, biological world and the precision medicine world and the genomics world. It's not an area where I I count as a strength. But uh, great job talking with Mark Kaganovich, the CEO and co-founder of Solve Bio, and we certainly uh, wish the company the best going forward and look forward to tracking its success. Thanks to our listeners for joining us on this episode and all of our past episodes. It's great to have you here. If you could uh, do us a few favors, number one, uh, just give us a ranking on whatever uh, platform you're listening to this podcast. would love to know how we're doing. If you have a few extra seconds, offer us a comment uh, just so we know where, where we can do a better job or perhaps who we should be talking to that we're not. And uh, finally, tell your friends. Uh, this has been, uh, we've been doing this for over a year, and uh, we've really built a great audience, but bigger is always better in this regard. And if you know anyone who would benefit from some insightful conversations uh, that really address the intersection of innovation and healthcare, I think, uh, I think you'd be doing your friend a favor by letting them know about this podcast. So please do that. We'd love to have more folks come along for the ride. Finally, if you want to get the Breaking Health newsletter sent directly to your inbox, just go to healthogy.com. It's the word health, followed by the letters egy.com. Healthogy is the company that puts out this podcast and the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. Just give us uh, go to the healthogy.com, give us your email. We'll send the Breaking Health newsletter. 
with future podcasts, with our own articles, with our own video content. Uh, it'll, it'll be a, a high point over your week, I guarantee it. So thanks again for joining us on this Breaking Health podcast episode and tune in next week for another tale of innovation.